Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to The Wild Initiative Podcast Network. Learn more and check out all the shows at thewildinitiative.com. You're listening to the Fish Untamed Podcast, where we talk all things fishing, conservation, and the outdoors. Today on the show, I'm joined by Landon DeKaiser, host of the Fishing Podcast. All right, welcome to episode number 10 of the Fish Untamed Podcast. Today I am talking to Landon DeKaiser, who hosts the Fishing Podcast. Now, the Fishing Podcast is a little different from a lot of the other podcasts out there in that it does not focus on one specific style of fishing. Uh, There's a lot of fly fishing podcasts out there, a lot of spin casting podcasts out there, but Landon talks to anybody and everybody uh, who likes to fish. Uh, he He doesn't narrow himself down to just a specific technique, and as much as I like to fly fish now, most of the time, I grew up with a spin rod and I still pick one up occasionally, so... I can definitely appreciate where Landon's coming from when he doesn't want to narrow himself down to one specific technique. So we get into a little bit about fishing in Michigan, which is where he lives, and then a little bit about his show and what's in store for the upcoming season. So without further ado, here is my chat with Landon DeKaiser. I just like to usually start with asking you kind of how you got into fishing in the first place. Yeah, so... um really pretty much since before I can remember I mean everybody in my family fished um so you know I can I can actually remember like where I went fishing the first time it was a place that we camped all the time called uh Brevort Lake up in the upper peninsula of Michigan if you're familiar with upper lower um and it was something that I was always pretty obsessed with (laughs) Uh, I, I used to drive my dad completely nuts just i mean i would ask him to take me fishing every single day (laughs) like (laughs) even if we went the day before um so yeah you know my both my grandparents on either side great grandparents fish so it was just part of part of my life but i don't know i've taken a little bit stronger interest than most uh, um most people in my family even I would say for most people, it's kind of a hobby and me, it's really an obsession as my wife calls it, but I don't know. I think obsession is like kind of a bad, uh, connotation with it, but it's like a, like a good, a positive obsession. <laughs> right. Exactly. A passion. That's the word I like to use. There you go. So it, it, 
it sounds like it's kind of a combination of the way I feel like I either hear people say, you know, my dad was super into it and kind of dragged me along or, you know, my parents weren't interested, but I had a, a bug. But it sounds like you did have a, a pretty solid introduction to fishing as a kid, but you just kind of took it and ran with it a little bit more than the rest of your family did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if typically if I'm not working um, or hunting and hunting season, that's what I'm trying to do is be out on the water somewhere. Sure. And did, did you grow up with conventional gear, I assume? Yeah, I really didn't start fly fishing until you know, really mostly in the last like four four years or so. Um, I mean, I, I got my first fly rod, I think, when I was 10 um, and fly fish for bluegill and stuff and bass sometimes. But most of the time, yeah, conventional gear. And I still fish quite a bit of conventional gear. Um, but... Uh, I don't know, probably fly fishing about half the time anymore. Okay, yeah, I was going to get into that, and maybe this is a good time, but um, obviously, as a little bit of background, you host the Fishing Podcast, and I definitely want to hear about how all that started and kind of where you see that going, Um, but one of the things I really appreciate about it is that it's kind of all over the board, and I know you've mentioned that that's kind of why you started it, because you, you know, you didn't, you couldn't find anything that fit what you were looking for, Um, but as, right. as someone who I I mean I grew up with conventional gear and I've been talking about this quite a bit lately um, as much as I fly fish most of the time now uh, I still you know when I go home I still pick up the spin rod and I still enjoy it uh, and I, I can appreciate someone else who's not you know doesn't identify as one or the other who, who's just like I like fishing you know any kind of fishing right yeah it, that's yeah I would say my I'm, I'm definitely a multi-species multi-tactic angler it's it's kind of the constant process of learning and doing something different that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you'd pick just conventional or just fly fishing, there's so many different parts of fishing that you, you kind of pigeonhole yourself away from, I guess. Right. So do you find yourself choosing the technique you're going to use based on what you're fishing for or where you're fishing? Or is it more like I'm in the mood to fly fish today, so I'm going to fly fish or I'm in the mood to throw spinners or... Um... that depends so this summer I had a goal that I wanted to catch five brown trout over 20 inches um the cab in 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 Michigan that might not be all that that hard if if you know where to go and and know what you're doing but the caveat to that was I wanted at least one to be caught uh on a mouse at night okay and another one had to be on a streamer to kind of force myself to do those two things so this year it was a lot about that a lot of uh, streamer fishing and mousing um specifically to try to like accomplish that goal um and i did but let's say in a normal year where that wasn't going on and i didn't have i hadn't set a goal like that Mm -hmm. um to me it's more about the body of water that i'm fishing um and possibly if i've fished there before so you know, not knocking the guys that they want to fly fish and that's the only way they want to catch a fish. You know, a lot of my friends are like, yeah, but what if you would have caught that fish on a fly? I'm like, I don't really care how I caught it. I'm still pretty happy. You right, know, you caught, it. I caught it on spin gear. <laughs> it, it doesn't, it, I don't, it doesn't bum me out in that way. Right. Um, so if I'm going to go to a, a small body of water, that's really hard to fly fish. I'm, I'm probably going to use spin gear. Um, I cover more water. I get to see more catch more fish and that's more fun to me uh the larger bodies of water that's where i like to get the fly rod out and and streamer fish and and try to pick up fish that way and i think it can be really just as effective um given the right conditions as as fin fishing so what's your ideal um i guess body of water for each of those techniques i know you know each of these is broken down into you know, different kinds of, there's different kinds of fly fishing, different kinds of spin fishing. But mm-hmm. when, when, uh, you're choosing between, let's say spin gear and fly gear, what, uh, what water body features is, are going to dictate which you choose? Um, as some of it has to do, I guess, with like the river surroundings too, if I have an open space, um, cause I'm, I'm not the best fly caster in the world <laughs> at all. Um, if I have, you know, a lot of room to, to use a fly rod, then I will. Okay. Um, that's one of the biggest factors, but I guess are you talking more so about like why I use it or maybe, um, 
like structure in the river are different types of bodies of water. I guess that, like when you walk up somewhere, what makes you say like, oh, this would be better on spin gear. Oh, this would be better on fly gear. Because um, I feel like I'm I'm more the type who chooses it based on what I'm in the mood for. Like when I go yeah. home and I'm like, oh, I'm fishing for all the things I fished for growing up. Like I just want to grab a spin rod and like relive the good old days. But out here, I generally pick up a fly rod just because I'm in the mood to, not because of the, the species I'm targeting or the water I'm fishing. Yeah. Yeah. No, mine's definitely not. I'm usually just in the mood to catch fish and I'm like, hmm, what would be the most effective way to go in here and and Okay. a bunch of fish today um to to an extent you know i'm not trying to catch a hundred trout in a day <laughs> on, <laughs> on spinners um but uh if it's so one thing like if if you're looking at a really small creek and it's pretty fast you know it's got a lot of elevation change uh you're probably going to have a lot of log jams and a lot of riffles and so in something like that you're casting into such small pockets that's where i really like to use spin gear um, okay because you can you know you can make a five foot cast and still get a decent presentation um in a very very small pool of water you know sometimes sometimes there's really big fish sitting in a hole that's you know maybe four foot across and only four foot long but for whatever reason there's a log across the river or there's a bend and you get a really deep pocket under there. Um, if the water's flowing over that really fast, even with weighted fly line and you know a, a big lead head streamer of some kind, um, it's hard to get that down into there to where the fish is actually going to come out and and want to attack whatever you're putting in front of it. Um, whereas if you do have uh, a spinner or uh, a, a sinking Rapala, like the <clears throat> uh, countdown Rapalas, um, then you can get that down into that hole really quickly. So it's more just about what's going to be more effective on that body of water. Um, okay. But uh, the one thing I will say is I, I started doing this um, a long time ago when I, when I very first started brook trout fishing. You know, we used little tiny MEP spinners. Um, but we'd always cut the treble hooks off and put a single hook on there. Um, and you're going to hurt far fewer fish. Cause one of the, one of the big complaints you hear from fly guys is like, why do you want to put a treble hook in a trout's mouth? And I a hundred percent agree with that. Um, and you don't need a treble hook on these lures. You can, you can take that off. You can, you can put a single hook on there. And I even do that with the Rapalas too. So I, I change them out to inline hooks that are, um like they're just called inline hooks i guess you can look them up vmc has some really nice ones they don't sponsor me or anything but <laughs> those are the ones i like to buy they're super sharp um and i can send you a picture or something of it okay. too but uh you're i i i don't notice any difference in in catching that was like, be my num- next question numbers of fish it's it's like some days i'll go out and hook every single fish i catch and some days i don't and that's kind of always how it was even when I didn't switch out my, my, uh, <clears throat> treble hooks. Mm. So I would highly recommend that, you know, and it's way easier to get the fish off the hook. Oh if, yeah. You don't get it tangled in your net. Um, you're spending more time fishing. So for sure. I, I mean, I'd never heard of that before, but that makes total sense. I've never really done much, um, like gear fishing for trout, but even fishing for bass, especially when you've got some of those lures have two or three treble hooks and it's like one hit the mouth and the other two are just like lodged in its face somewhere. And you're just like, this is completely overkill. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. And I mean, granted, uh, fish like bass are a lot tougher, you know, they're not as delicate, but, but still I've seen some bad things happen even, even smallmouth fishing on the rivers and stuff too. So yeah. Cause especially those bass, I mean, they'll, they'll hit something much larger than they probably should. Cause they're just so eager that you might have a a lure that's like coming halfway back on its head but um you said you do mostly brown trout steelhead and smallmouth yeah those are really where i spend most of my time um usually from right now after i'm done deer hunting usually after opening day gun season i'm done for the year i hunt a lot in bow season and then it's back to fishing and i steelhead fish pretty much last winter that's all i did i actually didn't ice fish at all which um, I'm going to ice fish this year because 
that's how I put fish in the freezers, <laughs> catching pan fish. Um, and steelhead fishing is more just for fun. And, and then I'll steelhead fish into the spring until about April or May. And then I kind of slowly transition into chasing brown trout again. Um, because for anybody that's never fished in Michigan, a lot of our rivers actually close to, to fishing. Um, even catch and release fishing for a good portion of the year. And those are a lot of the rivers that I like to fish for, for brown specifically. Are they trout streams specifically that close or is it just a river by river basis? Yeah, only the trout streams will close. Uh, if it's not a designated trout stream, you can fish there all year. Okay. Um, and, and there are non-designated streams in Michigan that do hold trout because, you know, they might flow into the same river or could have been planted there years ago and the dnr doesn't track them anymore who knows but um yeah it's just the trout streams that close now do you uh mostly fish for brown trout because that's what's there or do you prefer them for some other reason like are there are there rainbows and stuff in the area as well yeah we've we've got rainbow trout michigan for some reason doesn't have like a lot of big rainbow trout there's rivers you can go to and catch tons of them but um, it's, it's not as common to catch a, a large rainbow trout here. Um, unless, unless you consider steelhead rainbow trout, sure. um, <laughs> we the, don't... the biggest of the big, yeah, then, then, the, then we have really big ones, but, um, there's just a lot more brown trout and I really like fishing for brown trout cause they're so aggressive mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I fish for brown trout to see them come out and, and hammer, you know, a, a streamer or, or whatever I'm fishing with, <clears throat> you know, that's the exciting part is, is when they come out on, you know, hundred miles an hour out of a log jam mm-hmm. and just <laughs> smoke a streamer and take off with it. Um, <clears throat> so it, that's the biggest reason I chase them, but I do like to do a lot of brook trout fishing. Um, okay. That's really what got me into uh, trout fishing because I grew up like the most southern part of Michigan with very little to no trout fishing at all so it was mostly bass bluegill pike that sort of thing mm-hmm. um but when I was probably in my late teens even early 20s um started brook trout fishing up in the UP with my cousin Dustin and I was like hooked instantly it was like where can I find more of these fish like where do they live at and then, of course, that led me to finding that there was a lot more brown trout in the southern part of the state. So I was like, okay, well, I'll go try to find some of these. Um, and one thing led to the next. And now I'm really just a complete addict when it comes to trout and steelhead fishing. <laughs> so did you end up catching the brown trout you were trying to on the mouse? I did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I actually um, I completed that goal plus one. I think I got six six browns this summer um i'm trying to think of what i caught the rest of them on uh, i know a couple came on rapala's and i don't remember what the oh the first one i caught on a jig and da- jig and wax worm the first day of the year actually january 1st oh awesome uh, we, were, we were steelhead fishing um and i just caught my personal best steelhead and then the very next cast caught a 22 inch brown, which was a complete surprise in that river because you don't catch catch many of them. So not a bad day, sounds. Yeah, like. <laughs> it was a, a good start. I had a kind of a head start almost to my goal. <laughs> so it sounds like you caught your uh, was it five brown trout you were trying to catch, like all on different yep. different kinds of techniques. Yep, exactly. That's pretty cool. So tell me about ice fishing because so I like I have a lot of experience with spin gear and lures, and I have a lot of experience with fly fishing. But something I'd really like to do and have not gotten to do yet is go ice fishing. So ice fishing is fun, but it is not in any way exciting. Um, well, there, there are exciting parts, obviously, but for the most part, you're standing on the ice fishing through a tiny hole. Um, to me, it's more of a social thing because you That's can go with a thinking. bunch of people. Yeah. You know, you can have two or three buddies go out there with you. And if the fishing's not good, at least you're hanging out and, and talking. Whereas if you're fishing out of a boat, a lot of times you can only have three to maybe four people and then you're crowded. Um, waiting's obviously tough to fish 
really fish with people and have yeah. like quality conversation <laughs> at the same time. Um, so that's, that's probably one of my favorite things about it is you can have as many people as you want and go out there, have some beers, cook lunch out there, make a whole day of it. Um, but, uh, and then I also, you know, honestly, what draws me to go ice fishing is the fact that I'm, I'm bringing fish home. Um, mm-hmm. because bluegill, perch, walleye, you know, they're all very, very delicious, catch them fresh and they freeze well. So that's how I get most of my fish for a good portion of the year. Um, and the one, the one thing I'll say that I really like about ice fishing that is very exciting is, is tip up fishing. That's what I was going to ask if you are using tip ups or that's like the one thing I know about it is if you, you like, that's an option to use tip ups. Yeah. And, uh, tip-ups are fun because you can be fishing with one rod and you know catching bluegill and perch and you set these tip-ups which is for anybody that doesn't know (laughs) it's basically just a thing with a spool line you set on the ice and that spool goes down into the water and it has typically a flag that comes over and that's like uh that's what holds that spool from free free spooling and then the fish come along and take your bait and swim down with it. And that sets the flag off and the flag stands up and then everybody else flag and everybody <laughs> starts running over to the fish, depending on how far away it is. You don't want to run up too fast because you want to let the fish take it. But you know, if it's a long ways across the ice, you can start running over there. And then as you get closer, you slow down and you watch to see if like the spool is turning. And if it is, it's really exciting. And you go over there and you pull the slack out of the line and then as as soon as you feel it kind of go tight, you, you pull really hard and set the hook. And hopefully if you're lucky, you have like a great big pike on is, is generally, generally what we're trying to get on tip ups. Um, but you can use tip ups for, for all types of different fish. We use them for, for walleye actually use them for perch, um, in, in places where you get the big jumbo perch. So yeah, it's, it's fun. It's kind of like trapping and fishing combined. <laughs> oh yeah. That's true. I never thought of that. Uh, two questions on on that. Um, one is that I've heard that before um, that a lot of people use tip ups for pike. Why are tip ups relevant to pike specifically versus other species? Yeah, sure. So um, the reason is is you're usually taking a hook and you're setting it down, you know, somewhere in the water column, like maybe right above a weed line or on the outside of a weed line around some structure where a pike might be living or um, whatever fish that you're, you're fishing for. And you, you have a weight that goes down there and you're putting like a big shiner or sucker minnow on a hook generally. And then, you know, if a pike comes by in the middle of winter and there's just a fish barely swimming there, they're, they're opportunists. So a lot of times they, uh, they can't pass it up and make a meal out of it or try to. (laughs) (laughs) True. Uh, second question is, are you basically like hand lining these fish then once you hook them? Like yep. are you pulling it in by the, by the, is it like a rope or? Yep. Um, so, well, they do actually make uh, a different types of tip ups where it has a fishing reel on it. I don't have okay. any of those. I'd like to, I'd like to get one. You actually put like a pole in there and then you can pick it up and reel them in that way. Um, but generally a tip up, it's just like a spool of line. And when you pull the fish back in, you just hand over hand okay. pull it back in. Now, are there laws, like I know out here, and I'm, I'm pretty sure several of the other states I've been to have laws that um, discuss like how many rods you can have in the water, like how many lines you can have in the water a single time. Um, mm-hmm. Do tip-ups count as like, do you have to pay more for like an extra rod fee or anything like that to have them all going? No, you don't have to pay for them, but they do, they do count uh as an extra line okay and you don't have to pay for extra lines it's like nope. you have a maximum number of lines that you can have out yeah i always fish with two but um i think i'd actually have to check the regulations on this but i'm pretty sure you can have three most okay. anywhere now and is that three including like if you're if you have a tip up but you're also sitting next to a hole with a like a rod in the water yep that yeah. one that one also counts yeah anything with a hook that you have in the water is considered a line so it doesn't necessarily have to be a rod. It can be a tip up. Um, those are really the only ways that I can think to fish in Michigan offhand because you can't use like 
like jug lines or trot lines or like do any kind of you know weird stuff like that here okay unfortunately so do you do do you do any uh fly fishing for any of these other species like pike or anything like that smallmouth i do smallmouth yeah smallmouth um i mean they're a ton of fun to catch on on fly gear they're aggressive in the areas you catch them they're usually more abundant than trout um and they fight harder honestly so Mm -hmm. uh i grew up doing a lot of smallmouth fishing on the little rivers and creeks and stuff and and that's really the only type of fish we caught in rivers back then or tried to catch obviously you've got suckers and carp and stuff but we never chased those um although i did go fishing for carp this year um on the fly and that was really fun did you have any luck i did i caught i caught one early on in the day and that was all we got the whole day it was pretty tough tough conditions that day because you're sight fishing mm-hmm. so if you don't have the right sunlight if there's chop on the water um it's really tough and you know you're just trying to put this cast perfectly in front of them and they're really picky about the take so it's quite technical actually and that's what i liked about it but you're seeing the fish and casting to them. So it's, you know, you can always see what's going on. So you're like, Oh, I almost got it. And it just keeps you going all day and <laughs> making <laughs> cast after cast. So is that uh, river carp or lake carp? This was like in like a reservoir really on a, a small lake above, above a dam. At, so um, there is some current in it cause it's not like a big enough lake that it stops it. Mm-hmm. But uh you could do it in either, though. What kind of flies are you um, using for that? Honestly, nothing really. They're just kind of uh, like a brown egg-sucking leech, Okay. I guess. Um, they have like a little red head and, yeah, just brown instead of a black. And they kind of have some little legs coming off. I'm almost like a shrimp Im- imitation, I would say. Okay. Nothing, nothing really special looking. You look at it and you go, hmm, that's... That's what you use? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I assume that the way you, because that, that sounds like it would be eaten by nearly any species of fish that's large enough to take it. I assume that you're just getting carp on it because you're targeting the carp. Like you're casting right in front of it versus just blind casting, at which point you'd probably be catching anything else that sees it. Um, you know, surprisingly that day we were, t- we were talking about that. We we're like, I'm surprised we haven't caught something else. You yeah, it sounds in the wheelhouse. A little of, bass yeah. or like a bluegill, and we didn't. Um, we didn't the entire day, so that was odd. Because um, there's no reason why other fish wouldn't eat it. But yeah, blind casting to carp that way would be really, really tough. It's you know you're really trying to find one that's feeding, and you can tell they're feeding because they kind of tip their their back up and they have their nose down and they're like rooting around in the water and stuff. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones you want to cast to. And uh, it, it, I actually have a whole podcast episode if if somebody wanted a lot more details on it. And John Lee, um, the guide that we we're talking with, is super knowledgeable. But uh, they, it, it's almost weird the way they act. Like, and you can tell like when they're like looking at it and they, they kind of get excited almost and then they slurp it up. And then that's when you set the hook. You, you watch the whole thing happen and they'll come up and do that sometimes. And then like right at last minute, reject it. Okay. They just decide, yep. You know what? I don't think that's food for some reason. I'm not going to eat it. They're, they're pretty smart. So do you ever feel the take or are you all just kind of going off of their mannerisms? Yeah. And just setting it, it when you see it. Exactly. It's really just all sight and mannerisms. Now um, there are like meerkarp are a slight, different variation um and i guess they are more aggressive and if you go up to like fish them in the northern part of the lower peninsula um on the flats on lake michigan i guess they're more aggressive and they will actually kind of come and hit the lure and take it okay yeah i assume if so i have a couple of friends we used to go fish this you know bass lake together and it had carp in it and i had one or two friends who did catch carp by accident they were just stripping something back in and those i know you know because they were stripping back in they felt it because you know yeah. they go to they go to pull that spooks the carp carp pulls and it would like their rods were almost yanked out of their hands because they're expecting to catch like a large mouth or something right. and so but it sounds like that's just a different that was just you know dumb luck first oh i'm sure it happens yeah, yeah oh, i'm yeah, sure yeah, yeah. 
I'm sure it happens. Um, you'd think for how much, how many carp there are around and how much I fish, I would have caught some more of them at some point. But. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't caught my first one. So I'm, I feel, I yeah, feel they're smart fish. <laughs> they're, they're definitely undervalued, um, for, for a sports species, I would say. Have you ever eaten one? I've heard they're not bad. I have not. I have not eaten a carp. If somebody else was going to kill it and clean it and cook it up, I would try it. Okay. But um, I don't know. I'm kind of a – I'll eat anything. I'm not a picky eater, but I'm picky in terms of what fish I would I would take home. Just based on the species that you just feel weird about and species you don't? <laughs> yeah, well, and what's available. You know, okay. sure, you could probably cook carp to taste just fine. If you know how to cook anything, you can make it taste good. Um, but why not take the fish that are incredibly easy to cook and, and easy to catch? <laughs> right. And I don't like, I, I don't like cleaning big fish, like even walleye. I don't like to keep anything over like really 17, 18 inches. The okay. bigger ones, I don't like to eat as much. They're not as, they're not as thick or they're, they are way thicker. So they don't like cook as evenly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The little ones are good. How do you usually cook your fish? Um, man, all different kinds of ways. Um, if I could only cook them one way, honestly, I'd probably pick like deep frying them and eating them with tartar sauce. Cause it's just so good that <laughs> <laughs> you just, can't go wrong. Right. Um, but I try to get creative with it. So I do usually keep uh, a steelhead or two a year. And with those, I'll, I've, you know, I've like baked them different ways. Um, sometimes I, a lot of times I just kind of make up crazy recipes um but uh i'll make like a uh, like a teriyaki sauce from scratch just with honey and and um what's the other ingredient for teriyaki uh soy sauce (laughs) and mix that together and and marinate it with some some seasonings and stuff in there and then pan fry it not pan fry it but cook it in the pan Mm -hmm. and that's really good um, that's probably one of my favorite ways to eat, eat steelhead. But, um, uh, and then I make uh, a lot of fish tacos out of last year. I had caught a bunch of white fish around this time of year and, um, they're delicious. They do have some fat and stuff you have to clean off of portions of them, but, um, it's, it's really good. A lot of people just smoke them. I, I really like, I'd, I'd smoke something else. I'd smoke a steelhead before I'd smoke a white fish, honestly. Um, but yeah, fish tacos I made a lot last year, and those are super easy. So when you say you cut the fat off, is that the the kind of fat that like makes them taste muddy? Is that uh, white fish? I'd say I more fishy. Okay. I'd say fishy. Um, you know, like any fish really has like a, you know, like the red line of fat that mm-hmm. goes down their vertebrae. Um, and I always cut that off, even even on walleye. If they're if it's kind of thick, I'll even cut it out. Okay. Just because that's where that really like oily oily flashes um and the oils is is really what contains most of that fish flavor and if you're not like if you know some people are like oh i don't really like fish and and then they eat my fish tacos and they're like okay those are those are pretty good (laughs) yeah fish is one of those flavors it's like i really like the taste of fish but the moment it crosses that line of too much too much Mm -hmm. tasting like fish it's it's like terrible it's not a flavor you want in excess (laughs) right yeah like like salmon out of the Great Lakes, you really got to get all the fat off them because they're fishier, in my opinion, than than the salmon that are from saltwater. Um, I've had salmon, even like salmon that's fresh, it's silver, out of Lake Michigan that just, it didn't taste good even when he did clean it right. I still ate it, but it was like, hmm, that wasn't the best salmon I've ever had. <laughs> I've, I'd never heard of a comparison between uh, Great Lakes salmon and uh saltwater salmon so that's good to know i wonder what causes that probably their diet i would say and i think just the salt water in general i don't i don't know about you but um i think saltwater fish in general is better i agree yeah i i haven't had too many saltwater fish that weren't good come to think of it yeah and i guess i might be biased in that the only saltwater fish I I've really had I've gotten like at a store, and I feel like they're not going to sell the, you know, if there's a gross saltwater fish out there, they're not going to sell it at the store. Whereas freshwater fish usually have more access because like you might know someone who caught one. 
Right. Um, so I might have had a wider variety of freshwater fish than saltwater fish, but I'd agree that in general, I think the saltwater fish tastes better. Yeah. Is this is a steelhead similar to a just like the rainbow trout in its flesh, or is it more like a salmon? Um, it it can kind of depend on when you catch them. Okay. So, um, they're they're similar to a salmon in the way that when they come out of the lake, they're fresher. Yeah, and then as they're in the the river longer, their their meat kind of loses its color. If you if you catch like a really colored up buck, that's that's been in the river since fall and it's now April and he's just almost black. You really probably don't want to keep that fish and eat it. Their, okay. their flesh gets like really light colored. So yeah, they, they are similar in that way. Okay. So tell me about your work with BHA. Yeah. So I am on the board for backcountry hunters and anglers here in Michigan, um, which, uh, for anybody that doesn't know in short is the the voice of public lands a nonprofit organization um which has a simple but you know a complex goal of protecting public land for really anybody so it, it's hunters and anglers that are a part of the group mostly but they're protecting public land that anybody can go enjoy from you know mountain biking hiking walking their dog um so it's it's a great program because we're really lucky to have the public lands that we have, um, especially, you know, in some states, Western states, Michigan has tons of public land. And a lot of people take that for granted and don't realize that it, it costs a lot of money. So anytime something costs money, there's politics around it. And there is a very real possibility of big chunks of land, you know, going up for sale and and never being open to the public again. So <clears throat> the goal is to uh, protect public land. And we do, uh, I help mostly with like events and stuff that we're putting on around in the state. I'm not the most knowledgeable when it comes to like, you know, what legislations are going through. Sure. Um, it, which, is, which is actually why I got involved with BHA is because they make it really easy to understand different bills and how they affect you know, outdoorsmen and what, you know, what the long-term effects of that could be. So um, it helps me to quickly identify like, okay, this is a good bill, or maybe I need to look into this one a little bit more. And then uh, usually it also makes it really easy to contact the people that you need to talk to, to oppose it. Um, you know, you can call all these different elected elected officials, depending on on what the issue is and what your concern is, or maybe, maybe it's something you're supporting and you want to voice that too. Mm -hmm. Um, but who do you call? Right. Um, usually if there's a specific issue, they have a link that will take you to the exact person that you need to talk to. If it's within your district, wherever it might be, you can call them, email them and have a conversation with these people. Um, and, and I think that's one cool thing that I've actually learned through, through BHA is like, there, there are people out there and their job is to actually listen to the public. You know, a lot of people think, Oh, the government's not going to do what I want. And sometimes they don't do exactly what you want, but there are people there that are actually taking your opinion into account. Yeah, so I agree. It, it does matter. Yeah. I'm always surprised because I, I agree with you in that BHA kind of opened my eyes to how accessible my representatives were. And like mm -hmm. you said, kind of understanding these bills that you, you know, it, it's much easier to care when it's written out in plain English versus whatever jargon they were using before. Um, right. But I'm always really surprised when I, because, you know, I'll, I'll use their, you know, forms or whatever to send in, you know, um, a message to my representatives. And I always get a message back from them. Yeah. That's, that's not, I mean, it, it might be a, like a form email that they've sent to everybody who was on my side of the fence, but it is definitely catered to what I said. It's not um, just a form email like, thanks for contacting us. It is a, uh, I appreciate you reaching out about this specific issue. Uh, here right. are my thoughts on this issue and like, like I'm going to be serving your best interest. So yeah, I always am really surprised when uh, I, I find out how accessible people are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you, there are, you know, open office times. You can go in and actually talk to those people face to face. You can call them. Um, and yeah, I didn't really, I wasn't aware. I guess I always knew you could do that. I just didn't know how easy it could be. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Um, 
so I feel like we should probably switch over and talk about your podcast since that's how I came across you. Uh, <laughs> if you just want to give okay. like an elevator pitch and maybe we can dive into uh, what you've done so far and what season two has in store maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I have, uh, I've been slacking a little bit and I've not put out any new episodes. I've been recording some, but uh, life has been incredibly busy for <laughs> this past summer, especially, and then into the fall. Um, and uh, I've got some good content coming out for sure. I'm excited about season two. Um, I've got some new ideas. Um, it, honestly, so I, I want to make the podcast something that other people enjoy and they want to listen to. And listening to a lot of people's feedback, they wanted to hear more of the same, more of the same things that I've already done. Um, so we're going to do a lot more steelhead and a lot more trout and a lot more smallmouth. Actually, I want to do a lot more smallmouth this year because we didn't really cover smallmouth much last year. Mm -hmm. But that's what really people are asking for. So I'm going to try to do a lot of that type of content, but I'm still going to mix it up too and and do some different podcasts on you know weird random things. Like last year, uh, we went on vacation to Panama and did like a saltwater trip with a guide and that was really fun. So there'll be, there'll be things like that again too. But, um, as for why I started the podcast, um, I, I got into listening to podcasts, not all that long ago, maybe like four years I'd heard of them, but I, I kind of was just like, eh, sounds weird. I don't, I don't, why would I want to listen to a podcast? Like, what's that all about? You know, I don't know. I kind of am one of those people, anything new comes out and I kind of oppose it for a while until I, realize it's <laughs> something <laughs> worth getting on board with um and i listened to like a lot of different uh like business related podcasts and then hunting podcasts and then i had listened to different fishing podcasts but i just i couldn't find one that i really liked like i was like well i like you know some of this one and some of that one but really what i was looking for is variety in one show um, because even though I spend a lot of my time fishing for different things, I'm always thinking like, man, it'd be fun to go catch this kind of fish, or mm -hmm. I'd love to go to this location. Um, so learning about all those different places was in different types of fish was really the inspiration for, for starting the podcast. Cause I figured, you know what, if there's not a podcast that gives me exactly what I'm looking for, I can just start one. Um, and cover all those different topics that I would think is interesting. And, and, you know, I know there's a lot of other multi-species anglers out there that think like myself. So um, even though, even though it's a, a podcast that covers a wide range of topics, I don't think it's for everyone. You know, it's still kind of a, a niche in a way um, because some people are only into fly fishing, so they don't really care about conventional or some people are only saltwater. So they don't, care about anything freshwater um and that's great you know fishing is all about spending time outdoors and enjoying it and whatever it is that drives you to go out there and do that whether it be one species one method um that's great but uh, i just fall into that you know, multi multi-species category um so that's who i would say the target audience is um you know i think there's a lot of great episodes that if if you're um uh, a streamer fisherman or trout fisherman, then you would probably listen to that one and, and maybe skip the other episodes. Uh, there's a lot of hunting podcasts where I do that, where it's like, Oh, you know, I don't really hunt hill country in Vermont. So I'm going to skip this episode because right. there's nothing really to learn. There. <laughs> if I go, if I go there someday, maybe I'll go back and read this. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I guess it tells you a little bit about, uh, the podcast and, and why I started it and, and what's coming up. Um, it's been a lot of fun though. Uh, I've met really cool people through it so far and, and made some, some good friends. Um, and that's, that's always a plus because the people that you spend your time with are kind of, kind of determines how your life is. If you're surrounded by good people and usually life's good. So. Yeah, for sure. I feel like with, a podcast like yours. So when I first found your podcast, I, I really liked the um, kind of attitude you had around it where it's just like, look, I don't want to 
categorize anything. I just like catching fish. And like you said, that's almost a niche in itself. When it sounds, it sounds very general, but most people aren't that general. Most people kind of focus in on one technique or another. And when I first heard that, I was like, I don't know if this is for me because I do mostly fly fish now. But then I mm -hmm. real I listened to a couple episodes and I was like, you know what? A, I grew up not fly fishing. And so it, you know, I I understand what you're talking about and I can relate to it. But also there's so many aspects of fishing that don't have anything to do with the technique you're using. I mean, right. you know, 80% of the, the battle is just finding a fish and knowing yeah. how that fish is going to behave and what it's looking for. And at that point, you know, how you present that, you know, bait or fly to the fish is just the last little bit. Um, getting to the fish and and reading the water and understanding what this fish is looking for is is most of the battle. And to hear a podcast that might not be the specific technique I want to use might still give me a ton of information about that species and what that species is looking for at any given time of yeah. year. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that 100%. You know, and sometime, sometimes it's the little, like, puzzle pieces that I took from this puzzle, but they somehow fit into the other puzzle I was trying to solve, you know, like things that I've, um, learned spin fishing have definitely helped me be a better fly angler. Um, or somebody might be talking about a specific species that I've never fished for. And they point out something that that fish did in like that, why they do this. And I realize, Oh, that's why this other species I fish for does that same thing. Mm -hmm. um or you know at least points in the right direction fishing fishing's like a, a puzzle that you'll never never quite finish and uh there's a bunch of pieces missing anyways <laughs> for sure and if you if you exclude if you deliberately exclude a bunch of different techniques you're basically leaving those puzzle pieces out and trying to solve the puzzle yeah. without them when you could when you could totally use them you're to your advantage even if you don't want to partake in that specific activity i feel like that whenever i'm trying to uh, explain kind of reading water to people, you know, it, mm -hmm. you know, and you've been fishing long enough and you can look at a river and you just like know what spots look fishy. You can't even t say like why you're just like, there's a fish in there. And I feel yeah. like that, you know, all that knowledge that I have was gained fishing for smallmouths, but it's like, I can still use it for fly fishing for trout out here, completely different water bodies, yeah. completely different species, but I can still look at a river and be like, that's a fishy spot, even if I can't exactly. explain it. So I think, yeah, having that generalist mentality is just, I think more people need to be open to that. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. The, just the, the more different areas you dip your toes into, you know, that's just more information for whatever else you're going to go out and chase the next time. Right. Have you found any species in Michigan that you never target on the fly because like, like, for example, I know a lot of people don't fish for like walleye on the fly because they, you know, they hang down real low and it's just a little harder than some of the other species. But do you have any species that you're like, this is the only technique I use and not even just fly, but like where you only use one technique? Um, I mean, I, I, I would say with salmon, I pretty much only like go trolling out in the big lake for them. So okay. I've got friends and, and relatives that have boats and you just go out there and drop lines down and drive around. Um, and I just, I don't do much river fishing for salmon. So that's, that's one example of one technique I would use. Um, as far as fly fishing goes though, that's, that's so, you know, that's kind of a new venture for me still. So there's a whole bunch of fish I'd like to catch on a fly. I'd say is, is the bigger problem. Um, but, uh, I probably wouldn't try to catch a sturgeon on the fly. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I've never some... caught a sturgeon at all, though. I'd, I'd love to. That's definitely on my bucket list. Do you know what sturgeon, like how you fish for sturgeon? So there's different, I don't know much about it. So to just to warn everyone, <laughs> um, there's different ways to do it, though. I know, and like a lot of people will go over to, uh, like the St. Clair river where it goes into Lake St. Clair and it's like super deep out there. It's like a hundred feet deep or something crazy. I don't know. I'm making that up, but it is really deep. Um, and you just drop like lines with some type of bait down to the bottom and just kind of sit there and wait, like, like fishing for catfish, I guess. Um, so it doesn't sound like that much fun from uh, <laughs> a fishing standpoint, but the catching standpoint, 
would I think make up for that <laughs> yeah I'm sure once you hook one I wonder how often you hook one though I don't I don't think it's something you go out and expect to catch several in a night I think if you go out and get one or two that's a good night okay maybe similar to like musky fishing yeah yeah I'm not 100% sure but it, it would a low number scheme that, okay that I do know have you caught or at least gone fishing for the grayling that have been reintroduced to Michigan? I know very little about it, but I know that they were trying to reintroduce grayling to Michigan. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think last I knew they had not planted them. Okay. Um, so I, I have not on, and they have tried to plant grayling in, uh, Michigan before and it, it failed. Um, so they're trying this completely new method where I think they're raising the eggs and then they're putting the, I think they're putting them like in cages in the river at first and then letting them out. I don't know. I can't remember all the details. I have read about it quite a bit, but it's been a little, little while since I looked into it. So no, I haven't got to do that yet, but I definitely, definitely will give it a try. Um, if they open up, I almost feel like they should not even allow fishing at first, like close that section of river and, try to get them get them started but because mm-hmm. they were there before right they were they were yeah so do you happen to know why they have been failing like putting them back in their native waters <clears throat> well a lot i mean so much has changed in michigan since they were in the rivers um it, there's not any one exact thing that they can say this this is what caused them to go extinct in michigan um it, i think it was a you know, a, a whole bunch of different factors. Logging was a huge one. So, I mean, they went through and, I mean, they clear cut most of Michigan a couple of times. Um, and as I'm sure, you know, that does all kinds of terrible things to rivers and um, raises water temperatures and puts a bunch of sediment in the river. Um, so their natural in ecosystems that they were living in changed greatly. Uh, and then the other big thing is, is, is Michigan used to pretty much be mostly swamp. Like it was most of even the farm country was very, very swampy, but due to all the irrigation, they've really kind of drained most of it. Um, so I, I don't think the water is of the quality that it used to be almost anywhere. I see. Um, and the introduce you know they introduced so many different species now salmon they didn't introduce until way after the grayling were gone but they did introduce brown trout in you know almost every river in michigan by by the you know early 1900s to mid 1900s um and they live in the same streams and brown trout are you know typically the dominant species around here in if they're in a river system you'll get some pike and stuff in the rivers with them but i would say for the most part the main predator is is brown trout that are residents at least um in many of those rivers and yeah i think so much just changed the they just couldn't couldn't make it anymore after their habitat was gone competition for uh breeding areas i'm sure Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems it seems like the brown trout, pretty much everywhere I've been, tend to start to dominate wherever they've been planted. I mean, they can coexist, especially with like rainbows, but mm-hmm. you don't. I feel like you don't see a lot of brown trout with sensitive species. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Like where I brook trout fish, it's very rare to catch a brown trout, and vice versa. Um, there are some rivers that you can go and catch a brown in a rainbow and a brookie and all in the same day but those are you know rare and and special rivers yeah for sure we've got a grayling a spot out here that has grayling and it's grayling and cutthroat and they seem to coexist pretty easily but cutthroat i feel like are in the same boat where they're like they're the first to go if anything else is is uh, introduced so it kind of seems like the grayling and the cutthroat like bottom of the totem pole they can they can survive together but neither one would would probably make it if uh a more aggressive species were introduced. Right. And I don't know, do grayling, do they spawn in the fall or spring? I have no idea. Honestly. I don't either. Uh, I want to say, I want to say spring because 
there and I could be totally wrong about that but there's a the the spot that I've fished for them before I believe there's a closed time that is around the time I went and I think I went in June so I would assume that, okay. that spawning had happened just prior to that but I could be totally off base um, but that would be my have best to write guess. in and tell us yeah <laughs> I'm sure someone's <laughs> pulling their hair out yeah well do you want to um share where people can find you and your podcast if they want to check it out yeah, so the podcast is a super creative name, The Fishing Podcast. Um, so if you go to thefishingpodcast.com, that's uh, got all the episodes posted on there, very basic website, um, but it's got every episode on there, so you can click that and, and go to the different – it doesn't – I mean, honestly, there's so many places that you can listen to podcasts. People tell me, they're like, oh, I listened to it on this app, and I've honestly never heard of it. The The program I use just broadcasts it out to all the channels and assuming the same way yours does. And um, it, pretty much if there's a app that has podcasts on it and you look up the fishing podcast, it should be there. If it's not, um, definitely let me know because I'd be interested in making sure everybody can listen to it. Um, but I'm on Instagram. Instagram's probably the best place to get a hold of me. I spend more time on there than, than anywhere. Um, and the Instagram is the fishing podcast as well. All right. And um, do you happen to know when season two starting? Very soon. Um, I told somebody I would definitely get an episode out before the end of the month here. So it's okay. uh, November 19th today. So I've, I've got, I've got a handful of, of good ones. I'm just trying to kind of decide what's going to come first in the flow of it for the kind of the season. I want to try to keep things a little bit more seasons based this year um so like for example i've got a smallmouth episode uh, recorded right now but i think i want to release that like in june so there'll probably be a lot of steelhead stuff coming out here um and then i want to get uh some more ice fishing episodes so um because that's that's one of those things i've done all my life i'm no expert at sometimes i catch some fish sometimes i don't and i don't mm -hmm. really know why <laughs> so <laughs> i'm interested in maybe becoming a little bit ice, better ice fisherman too um, so yeah, very soon before the end of the month, and then it will probably be a weekly thing until summer of next year. And then I think I'll probably take another break to focus on, on fishing really. <laughs> <laughs> I started fishing last when I made the podcast because in the summer, I don't like where we're at in Michigan, we're so close to, um, the time zone change that in the summertime, it stays light here until like 10 o'clock. And oh really so in the summer i'd i'd fish a lot after work because you can i mean you, if you get out of work a little bit early you can fish for four or five hours in the daylight yeah that's a it's a hack for fishermen just live right on the uh, time zone line yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know you go to chicago it's really not that far west of us and it gets dark an hour early there almost Huh, yeah, I've I've noticed because I've I've been trying to balance, you know, trying to keep up with a podcast as well as fishing. But I just try to make sure all my podcasts are on weekdays, especially in the winter, because I'm like I'm not I'm I get off work and it's dark in yep. an hour. I got to cram them all in during the week, so at least I have the weekends to go out. But I know if if I if I was more motivated, I would probably try to record all of them in the winter because you really don't have too much else to do. Um, you can ice fish in the dark, but. That's a hassle. Yeah, you can just save it till summertime. <laughs> right. All right. Well, Landon, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, happy to learn about all fun. the different techniques that you've used. Yeah, it's uh, it was it was great being on. It was a good conversation. I really enjoyed it. So if you ever all get right. to Michigan, let me know. I will. I've got plenty of people to go see over there. I feel like you guys have so many uh, hunters and fishermen in Michigan. Yeah, lots of good fishing, too. I'll definitely definitely pointing in the right direction all right well thanks so much and have a good night thanks have a good one bye all right and that'll do it as always if you liked what you heard go ahead and go over to the wild initiative podcast you can subscribe there and get my episodes every thursday as well as all of sam's other episodes throughout the week you can find my episodes on fishuntamed.com in addition to weekly backcountry fly fishing articles and you can find me on social media under Fish Untamed on Instagram or my name, Katie Bergert, on Go Wild. And I will see you same time, same place next week.
Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.